once I started navigating entrepreneurship, I ran into a lot of, you know, the psychological challenges obviously were self-doubt, stress, anxiety around, um, you know, financial pressure. All mental health challenges are signals from the mind and the body that we are dysregulated, that something is amiss. I had to start to do even more work on that grief and loss. And I realized that I had to undo that agreement, that I no longer had to be perfect. Here on Naked, we talk a lot about signals. What are the signs we see or feel in our entrepreneurial journey and often choose to ignore? Where do we need to look for them? Our guest today talks about these very sites, how our brain is good at rationalizing things, but our body is disagreeing, how a physical experience might be telling us that something is off balance. Laura Shuk Guzman is a psychotherapist specializing in trauma, perfectly equipped for a conversation about the interplay between trauma and entrepreneurship, as she can draw from being both a business founder and a specialist clinician. We learn how trauma can be stored in our bodies and how this may lead to situations where the body is thinking it's about life or death, even if the brain knows it's not. Trauma may have a big impact on the way we experience and respond to situations, especially in the high-pressured world of entrepreneurship, in different and often unexpected ways, from withdrawal to tension or aggression. How do we learn to find compassion for the way the nervous system responds? Laura uses her own personal experience of being surprised to discover that some of the things that were holding her back at a stage of her career were very closely linked to a traumatic moment in her life and how she never connected the dots. She also talks about how to manage psychological problems when you know the tricks and the importance of peer support and mentors. Please meet Laura. This is Naked by the Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Brought to you by Vladimir Kobrystinska and Nectarios Lolios. And remember to subscribe, follow, and rate Naked to help us share it with the world. Well, Laura, thank you very much for joining us at Naked. It's a pleasure to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I actually just am coming off a little getaway. I took a retreat for myself on Sunday and Monday, where I just went into the Texas Hill Country and unplugged for a couple of days. And I do that every quarter. And it's kind of like a biz personal retreat. But it's funny because this time it was really just personal. I really I didn't open up my my notebooks. I was just staring at the trees and relaxing out in nature. And it was, it was really good. So you're actually getting me on a really, I mean, I'm in a really relaxed mode today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to connecting. That's beautiful. And I love this expression, a retreat for myself. You know, I was like, okay, we don't, we don't he- hear that too often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Inspiring for the first moment. Nectaris, hi, good to see you. Hi, you hi, Laura. Hi, Vladi. Um, Laura, you had made Hill Country because uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a barbecue chain in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, that's how I discovered kind of Southern barbecue was somebody, a friend of mine from San Antonio, she took me to, to Hill Country and I was like, this is a place I would like to stay at. So I've been there quite often. I'm fine. I'm fine. I had, I had a bizarrely bumpy day. I ended up in two conversations that were 
difficult, just intellectually difficult, mm. where you need like half an hour afterwards just to, okay, and breathe. Uh, but it's all good. It's been a beautiful day in London today. It's sure. been very sunny. Mm. So that helps. Yeah. But I'm excited, excited about talking to you. Yeah, same here. I mean, you know, we were talking about this with Nectarius that it's a new topic for us. We sort of um, touched it from different angles, but we never had a chance to really go deep into the exploring trauma. So guys, as you are listening, so um, one of the aspects that we want to explore with Laura on the, on the podcast is really how the traumatic experiences, what it means, how it manifests, how it relates to our experiences as entrepreneurs and and much more. So um, I was thinking how to start with you because your your story is uh, very interesting. I mean, I, I sort of, you know, uh, Nectarius knows this. I'm a structured person. So I sort of build those two structures where the one, one sort of leg is about your experience as a trained clinical psychologist. You have over 23 years experience as a mental health uh, professional. Um, you are trained in the somatic experiencing, which is something very interesting and want to learn more about. We'll, we'll unpack this. And then on the right hand, or for me, the right hand, you have this experience as a founder and, and, and an entrepreneur yourself. You founded two co-working communities, uh, both very sort of mission and purpose-driven. So I was thinking that maybe this is a great place to start, is to ask you how your own experience with mental health as entrepreneur have impacted what you currently do, which is to support, you, you work a lot with entrepreneurs and you support them in their mental health journeys and well-being. So how did those two come together? That's a great question. And I appreciate the recognition that I'm not very linear. I have a lot of non-linear um, connections and I like to actually stay in the in-between space. You'll learn that about mm. me as we talk. There's a lot about navigating the liminal space that's not always one thing or the other. I don't always fit in a box. So that's kind of what I've found as a therapist that I didn't necessarily um, find people like me, other therapists were working in nonprofit, working in clinics, doing group practices. And I had connections with them, but I kept imagining how could we do this differently? How could we do mental health a little bit differently? How could we do um, therapy in a way that was taking care of the therapist? You know, So mm-hmm. we were learning how to take care of our clients all the time. And I do come just for background. I come from the nonprofit or charity sector. So I spent the first 12 years of my work as a clinician supporting children and families mostly that have been impacted by familial and societal violence. So domestic violence shelters, children's shelters. I learned a lot about trauma in those experiences. I learned a lot about sitting and holding space for my clients. And yet I kept being really curious about my own process as a human holding space for other humans and how we could build structures and containers for those therapists so that we could continue to self-actualize and we could actually make a living for ourselves that, you know, how do we develop a private practice or how do we develop a business? So I was always very entrepreneurial, I think from the beginning. And a lot of my peers, they didn't really think of it that that way. They were just like, you know, this is my craft and I'm happy with that. And I'm just going to show up in this container Mm -hmm. that currently exists, right? But I was curious, like, what can we do outside of what currently exists? 
And I do come from a family of entrepreneurs. They're agricultural entrepreneurs here in Texas. I come from ranchers and they like know, and my dad's also a lawyer. He did several things. Um, And so I watched um, him do all these different things where he was running a ranch um, with a hundred head of cattle and doing all the things. And then he was also helping people with their legal issues. We, We were in a small community. So I have this background of seeing what that looks like to handle a lot of different things in a community. And then I had my desire of what could therapy be if we took care of the therapist. So Mm -hmm. that led me to really launch my first company, Soma Vida in Austin, Texas in 2008. And it was the first co-working space in the state of Texas and the first to incorporate wellness and to actually be for health and wellness entrepreneurs. So I'll say that it was a big um, wake up call. I think I didn't even know what I was I was jumping into, um, I didn't realize I was trying to launch a business that was so like, like ahead of its time, that it would be really hard in those first, you know, couple of years to even just find my footing. So it was a yeah. big experience. Yeah. It sounds like creating a completely new space where you need to advocate, evangelize, not even to build a business. I mean, mm. absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And I remember like trying to talk to, um, I ended up bootstrapping it because it was kind of challenging to get investors, but I remember we were, um, trying to get funding or we were in a small business competition here in Austin. And I remember like standing up in front of a panel of judges, all entrepreneurs, and they were listening and, and, and the women were nodding their heads a lot. This is really interesting. The women were nodding their heads a lot because I, at the time I was talking a lot about the challenge for me as a single mother to be able to run my business and how I needed a container and I needed a community and I needed this co-working community to hold space for me and all of us to do the work. And the moms were just like the women in the room, whether they were moms or not, they were nodding. The men in the room were like, they, they asked me, but how do you know that you need, how do you know that people want this? How do you know that people need Is there this? a business and I'll, case? And I'll yeah. always be, I'll always remember that because I was like, I'm, I'm following my intuition here and I'm following what I know I need and what I know I see what other people need. And I actually can't give you the business case because this has not been done before. And, and that was quite a challenge psychologically. And I think that is when I started getting really curious about what is this psychologically asking of me um, that I didn't expect? Why is it asking that of me? And what is it asking of all of us when we step into this kind of uncharted territory? And as Brene Brown refers to as the wilderness, like how do we brave this wilderness as leaders psychologically when there's no blueprint often? Mm you know, especially for businesses that are, um, that don't have any kind of preceding structure. And that's what entrepreneurs do a lot. They create things that don't exist and they bring new consciousness into being. Hmm. I have another question, but I'm looking at Nick Tires. He wants to do no, no, you, no, 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 you go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead I am curious if you felt better equipped and maybe I'm not even sure whether you were able to compare yourself really, but my question was going in the direction of as a, as a trained psychologist, did you have an awareness that you, you knew some of the tools that you had some level of self-awareness of what's going on? How did that feel when you started sort of experiencing some of those challenges as an entrepreneur? Oh, yes. Great question. And I'll also clarify for the audience because there's a lot of different psychological terms. So I am a psychotherapist. Mm. And that is a master's degree. And a psychologist usually then has their PhD. 
So I have my master's degree in clinical psychology with an emphasis on marriage and family. And that really served me well as an entrepreneur to segue to your question. So the thing was that I understood my clients and how I needed to show up as a clinician. But once I started navigating entrepreneurship and building a business that um, had all these challenges where people didn't understand what I was creating, I ran into a lot of, you know, the psychological challenges, obvious were obviously were self-doubt, um, stress, anxiety around, um, you know, financial pressure. Uh, just navigating that high risk and putting so much time and energy and not knowing if it was going to pay off, managing these impressions that I was having on other people. Like, even though I was all about transparency and we're about health and wellness, come on in. I was struggling in the beginning to be able to get this off the ground. So it's always like, how transparent can I be? So these are people that are coming into my business and they want me to help them just my client, just like clients, they want me to help them. So how am I being really transparent and saying, this is really hard, but I also feel like I'm equipped. Let me show you that I'm equipped, you know, to actually do this and provide this support because they're paying me for this service. So I think a lot of it was my own grappling with the psychological pitfalls, if you will, of entrepreneurship. And then I started to apply my skills as a therapist. I'm like, well, well, what would I teach my client in this situation? You know, I would start to really focus on um, grounding myself and I would start centering and I would start meditating and I would, um, you know, start really journaling and unpacking some of these feelings. So I kind of started doing the tools, using the tools on myself and I sought my own outside support. And so I wanted to ask. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it was the inner process of, wow, I need to use all my psychological tools here to get me through this. And there was awareness that I needed all of them. And then I also needed outside support, which I did seek from both like mental health professionals and also peers, mentors um, that were very similar to me as far as doing the emotional work or trying to understand what was happening in them psychologically as they were building businesses. So I think that that is what equipped me with sort of an advantage um, of just already knowing those tools. I didn't have to go learn them. I knew them and I was using them with my clients, but then it became aware that I had to use them in new ways. I had already used certain tools to keep myself grounded working with trauma, but it was like new ways of having to apply the psychological tools for myself to stay motivated to keep getting up and doing all the work and, um, and setting boundaries and, and all the things that I needed to stay, I would say regulated and stay resourced. The other mm-hmm. unique perspective see is I was in a co-working space. And so I was talking with other founders, mostly health and wellness companies and start, you know, mostly not so much startups, more lifestyle businesses at that point. So a lot of like, therapists that were entrepreneurial, nutritionists, yoga studios that were trying to, yoga teachers that were trying to build their business. Um, And so I heard from them the same challenges that I was having. And so it got me really curious, like, what is the psychological development that's happening here? Why, what are all these common things that we have? What are the threads I can pull? And I, I got just really curious about it because I'm seeing it with them. I'm seeing it with myself. And then I couldn't find a lot out there about it specifically. And so that's kind of where that intersection really started to take shape. I think about 13 mm. years ago, you know, that's, that's when it started. 
So the question I have is a little bit around identity. Um, When you describe yourself as a clinician, as a practitioner, as a professional on the one side, but as an entrepreneur on the other side, when we talk to, to the typical entrepreneurs on our podcast, it's usually very clean cut. It's like, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm building X business. And in, in your case, the way you switch between the two sides, between the one and the other, is quite intriguing. When things got difficult, was there an awareness that things are difficult because of the entrepreneurial path? Or was this like a blend because you also were very aware about the psychological implications ahead of you? And the reason I'm asking is because I'm trying to figure out if you can be as equipped as you are and as aware as you are. When things get hard, how do you get that clarity that you need to tap into that bucket of resource rather than just go out Mm. out of the door and just scream? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Great question. And thanks for that reflection because I do think I hold them and maybe that was even an advantage is there was somewhat of this objectivity that I had about my entrepreneurship because I talk about identity enmeshment that becomes a problem with some of my clients where the identity becomes enmeshed with the business, right? So their sense of their success is enmeshed in, in blended with the success of the business. And I think that because I was already really grounded in being a practitioner, like that I was very confident in. Like I really did feel solid in my work. I mean, always learning. And I definitely was not like done with mastered psychotherapy as a clinician, but that gave me a lot of confidence. And then when I started struggling as an entrepreneur, I didn't question my ability as a clinician. I questioned why I was running into these issues and is it personal or is it systemic? Those are always my questions. Mm. I'm a family's therapist. So then when I'm starting to, to struggle and then I see everyone else struggle, I kind of scratch my chin a little bit. Right. And I'm thinking we can't all be messing up. There must be something about the container, something about the system and the structure that's not helping that's impeding us possibly. And so then I start to work on that container, which was the co-working space. Like let's work on the container. So I think that there's like an advantage that I do have is I think that I had sort of this objectivity to kind of look when I started to stumble as an entrepreneur, I didn't just go to doubting myself. I kind of was like, why is this not working? What are the obstacles that are keeping us from doing it? Not to say that I don't have self-doubt, but I just was more, I had the clinician's mind trying to solve a problem. And I always see that my clients are doing everything in their, usually everything in their power to be safe, everything in their power to come back into connection with themselves, to find peace. I know that we're always orienting to that as humans. That's my core belief. So when we run into problems, I start wondering, why are we not self-realizing? Like, what's the problem? Mm. It's systemically, you know? So that kind of helped me not blame myself. But to your other question about, Is there something that I can, I do and how I think that I was very fortunate to be practicing these skills for the benefit of other people. So what I mean by that is when I was in my office with my clients, it was all about them. 
And I wasn't thinking about what was outside of those doors, about the PL and about everything else. Like I knew I closed my office door and I was all on them. This is about them. So I would be in this place where holding space for clients when you're doing trauma work is to use the word I used earlier, liminal. It's very much like this in-between space between where they, the reality of where they are in their trauma in their life and where they know they can be. But I'm always navigating this in-between space with them because we're not there, not in that space yet, but they know it's possible and they're working with me to get there. So I would get really present. I do. I get really grounded in my own body, really aware of my somatic sensations. And I connect with my clients on that deep level. And I'm holding space for them and I'm regulating their nervous systems, keeping my nervous system regulated. And so I would be curious, compassionate, doing all of that work with them. And I would notice then on the days that I did that, like back to backers had lots of clients, I would walk out into my co-working space and my manager would run up with an issue. Like, are you done with your clients? I need to work on, like, we have this crisis. And And you are zen. Yeah, I was so zen. I would just take a deep breath and I'd be like, yeah. Okay, let's bring it down. (laughs) Let's just see what needs to happen next. And I was so much more uh, present and less reactive. Mm -hmm. And then on the days that I didn't work with my clients, it was much harder. She would come to me like, there's this crisis. And I would just also get activated and be like, oh, no, this is horrible. We've got it. You know, how am I going to fix this? So I would notice the difference in myself that the more grounded and present and connected I was to my body and in that more comfortable with that in between, then I could show up that way in my business, a much more clear, much more just everything was like more spacious. And so that became really curious to me as well. And so it's not that I've become like, I still get um, blown over, knocked over by the things that happen in my business, but I've learned like, oh, these are the skills that help me stay more resilient, Mm. have more capacity. And I also have learned to recognize my burnout symptoms. So when I can't be as much that if I'm not as present or I'm not as able to like recalibrate, that's when I know I need to take more time for myself, which might be taking a retreat, going on vacation, unplugging, you know, Mm. things like that. So Mm. does that, I hope that answers the question. I feel like I kind of went several, again, I I'm never going to, never going to be extremely linear. That's okay. Gotta- I think I think our conversation has already started in a very unconventional path. So it's great. <laughs> um, but can, can, Vladi, if you don't mind, can, can yeah, we stay ahead. a little bit with your last statement? Because you talk about signals, which is something that's super important to us, right? So how do you identify or how do you tell somebody that what they're experiencing is a signal? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the stories that we hear are, in hindsight, the signals are over there, but I just didn't see them. Yes. Uh, and some of it is just building an awareness what could be a signal and what how do you how do you weigh it, how you dismiss it or take it seriously? Is there is there something that you've learned over the years that you apply or you even have your clients with? Yeah, I think that's really um important is the mindset that is it is a signal. It's not a um like I don't like to think of any mental health issue as a disorder, as an illness, as um, any kind of deficit. Actually, all mental health challenges are signals from the mind and the body that we are dysregulated, that something is not, you know, something is amiss. Yes, that affects neurochemistry. Yes, it affects all of the ways in which the body operates. So there is 
a reason why we need to understand those symptoms, those clusters so that we can, you know, have labeling for them. But, but I try to really stay away from thinking of anything as this is you being broken. I'm always like, okay, this is where things got off track. This is where things began. Your nervous system began to be overwhelmed and it couldn't get itself back to a resting state because our nervous system, just like the out breath and the, and, you know, it has this beautiful natural rhythm. And if you ever see my teacher, Peter Levine speak, he'll even use slinkies to talk about the nervous system, or he'll use these, um, these like those toys that kids have that like, and I know that people can't see my hands as we're talking on a podcast, but I'm expanding my hands out. There's these toys that will like, they're kind of like a, a ball that comes out and then it'll collapse and it'll come out and then it'll collapse. And so he teaches that to understand like our nervous systems have this beautiful natural rhythm, but then when trauma is in experienced by the body, then sometimes it can tr- throw those natural rhythms out. So the nervous system can be, you know, collapsed or it could get over activated and we go into more chaotic. So signals are actually messages from the body. Learning sensation helps us know that, oh, a signal from the body is telling me the state of my body. How resourced am I inside? Because my mind can tell me push through, but my body says what is true about the gas tank. Is the gas tank really full and we can push through or is it empty? And that can look like fatigue, just, you know, not just sleepy and tired, but like you literally are struggling to start to be able to get up in the morning. You have a really hard time staying awake um, or you start having insomnia or you can't sleep. Um, You start experiencing um, kind of strange feelings in the body. Like all of a sudden you're just like numbing or like disconnecting from the body. And you're like, why? That's a weird feeling. Okay. Pay attention to that. That means like energy is not able. You don't have enough energy to like fully like circulation happen in the body. You start noticing breath. Like you can't catch your breath or your breath is always tight or just a lot of like, you know, tension, tightness in the body. Right. So there's all these different things that we can, and, and we're irritable, like we're, we're, it becomes behavioral because then we're snapping at our loved ones. We, um, we can't focus, we can't track things. We're forgetting things. I mean, these, these are all symptoms of a dysregulated nervous system in a, in a, in a road sign that says you're approaching danger for your mental health, but we live in a culture that really sends a mixed message around here are actually the opposite message. The culture that we live in is sort of this, you know, grind at all costs, this hustle culture. And I say, we glorify the grind and we kind of teach people like, Oh, ignore that, you know, just keep pushing through. Everyone goes through this. It's just a part of a startup. Everybody, you know, it's just the cost that you have to pay. I don't believe that. And I am on a mission to re message that that mm. it's about sustainability and stopping and getting fueled back up and taking the rest that you need and going to the mat and shifting things in your body because that's going to keep you on the long path you know, right that's the marathon and not the sprint yeah no we hear you on this um and 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 you already mentioned trauma and this is something that we want to sort of unpack with you um there was also something that sort of resonated with me and i connected with something i was just reading and i mentioned it to nectarius before recording which is you said that 
you don't like to use this sentence of saying like, oh, you are broken. And, and it resonated with me because it helped me also in some way to dissociate it from a personal as I, as a person, I've done something wrong. So the book I'm reading, um, we, the title of the book is what has happened, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. And so that the, the, we reiterate the question from what is wrong with you to actually let's look at what has happened to you or what happened to you. So as, as we unpack this and we look on the trauma, I've read so many definitions of trauma. So can you maybe in some very simple language help us and the, the, everybody who's listening to understand what, what do we mean by trauma and a traumatic experience? Mm, definitely. And there's a lot out there. So I will, okay. my simple way of explaining it to my clients is that trauma is a moment when the body experiences something that makes it feel as if it might die. I mean, trauma is an experience in which the body, not the mind, the mind may know that you're safe. The body thinks it's life or death. That can be a surgery. The body doesn't know. I tell women with postpartum depression, did you have a cesarean? Because your body may think that that baby did not live. Our body has this thing. It just is like black or white around life or death or an accident, you know, car accident, which your body was, doesn't know. And then you maybe had, you know, surgery right after that or childhood trauma where sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional neglect to such a point that the, the body thought it would die. It couldn't handle that abandonment. It couldn't be without its protector. So trauma is when the body experiences something that it thinks that it's life or death. And sometimes that trauma does not get resolved. It doesn't move through the body. And so there's not ever, the body doesn't realize that it's safe. This is how trauma gets stuck. So trauma, traumatic um, stimuli happens, an injury, um, a threat, a pain, a wound happens. The body mobilizes, it fights, flights, or freeze Mm -hmm. in order to escape. Hopefully that's effective. Most of the time it is to some degree that person is out the other side of that trauma. But if the body did not have the space permission to discharge all that survival energy, it gets stuck in the body and the body continues to think that it's still life or death. Anytime something, even like a stressor at work, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal the nervous system is like, oh shoot, see, I told you we weren't safe. (laughs) That energy is still there and it compounds it. Mm. Now, this is very helpful because I I, I sort of had this uh, connection that and maybe a lot of us have it that when we think about trauma, we, we hear the word, we connect it to it, as you said, like, um, I naturally connected it with the post-traumatic uh, disorder syndrome of, of people who were in the, let's say, war situation, like mm-hmm. soldiers or the accident. But as I was sort of reading about this and going deeper, uh, there was a very heavy focus on a childhood, early childhood experience and how that shapes actually our behaviors and our experiences in a later stage of life. And there was a very strong connection to trauma. Can you unpack this a little bit so that we expand the definition and we don't stay in that accident sort of box? Yeah, absolutely. And that is where my work lies is we used to call it developmental trauma. So developmental trauma meant that it 
there were different in different times along a person's development in their human development that they were experiencing trauma. And we understood that if they experienced trauma at age two, maybe um, they had some abuse and neglect at age two, and then they experienced a sexual assault at 15, that there was a developmental trauma there because it already, there was already trauma in the body from two. And then there was um, happening again at 15. And so we understood that we couldn't just look at this as acute trauma or even PTSD, which is, you know, more um, originally PTSD was the diagnosis only for veterans. Now we know to expand it to people who are domestic violence survivors, child abuse um, survivors. There's all different ways that we um, use that diagnosis now, but complex or developmental trauma is how we understood it because at each stage when trauma affects you developmentally, it has a certain impact. Trauma that you feel when you're two and you're very helpless and you're dependent on your caretakers, you experience that differently Mm. than a trauma that you experience at 25, possibly where you had access to your adult capacities, right? So like understanding, you know, those layers of trauma is really important Mm. because it gives us compassion. Oh, I have a biological default to have you know, the freeze response, or maybe mine is fight and I go into rage, you know, but learning to find compassion for that nervous system response, it's not a character deficit. It's a biological adaptation. And sometimes it's actually good for that person, keeps them safe. And then often, unfortunately, it becomes maladaptive. And it's that maladaptation that I try to help my clients heal. Like we go in to how do we re-regulate the nervous system so that it now knows that it's no longer five and it's no longer in that environment Mm. and it can choose to show up differently. Mm. So the next time my co-founder, I'm going to put it in business role, next time my co-founder towers over me with some sort of demand, I know that that is my nervous system kicking in to freeze. And that's why I have a really hard time finding my words So then I will communicate to my co-founder, you know what, when you stand over me, I I shut down. Can we, could you sit down right across from me? I'll feel a lot more present with you and I can hear what you have to say. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is an example of like where we take things as we begin to know them, we begin to bring them into our relationships and ask for what we need or make sure that our nervous systems feel safe enough to do whatever it is that we want to accomplish. Hmm. Yeah, I I actually wanted to ask you exactly what you sort of where you ended the explanation, which was on, in some concrete examples, because I think finding a, it, it is very complex. And I was thinking also about the situation where, let's say, I don't recall any specific traumatic experience, like, let's say, abuse or accident and similar to that in a later stage of life. But I can't in some way recall or remember what was happening for me when I was, let's say, at the age of two, right? And I can imagine many people sort of who are listening might might have the same question. Let's connect it to the world of entrepreneurs. And and maybe if we can sort of move ourselves to your, you know, safe space uh, and in your office or place where you talk to entrepreneurs, um, I have sort of a twofold question. One is, what are some of the 
behavioral manifestation when entrepreneurs come to you with they're distressed and you actually point them to like, hey, by the way, there might be something traumatic. Let's explore what happened to you. So maybe let's start that. What are some of those triggers that you see and that that move you towards exploring this with 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 founders? Yeah, great question. Um, so a lot of times the founders will find themselves in my office because they know that there's something that they're struggling with, but they're not exactly sure. And it's manifesting in depression or anxiety. They often, some of them know that there's trauma at play, but sometimes they're just like, I don't know what's going on. You know, I don't have any bandwidth anymore. I've got all these symptoms and I just need help. Like help me. And a lot of times it's anxiety and depression that they'll present with. Um, so the the way that I work with that is to really start to, to ask a lot of questions about what is it that's happening in their body as we begin to kind of talk through. This is new for some entrepreneurs, but I find that they're really open to it. It's just as I start to kind of ask questions about, well, tell me a little bit about that conflict that you're having with your co-founder or tell me about um, what's happening when you think about that investor's rejection, right? It's like, Mm. you just, you just got rejected for that fund and what's coming up in your body. And often their responses will help me be able to kind of follow a thread into seeing whether there's a a past story there, like some sort of um, experience that would be seen as traumatic, like something that's unresolved. So for example, um, you know, I'll even like, I'm even going to actually use my own self, I think, in this. Is that okay to, to give sure. you an example of, of how it showed up for me? Um, so when I, so I grew up thinking that I had, I didn't have any childhood abuse or trauma and I'm becoming, you know, to, I'm thinking even just like when I was going to school, it's like, oh, I'm just so resourced and I can do all this work with my clients because I didn't have any trauma. And so now I'm going to be really supportive, supporting them. But what began to happen as I, I, I did work, um, obviously, on different parts of my past and, and, and past and experiences in there as a therapist. But when I became an entrepreneur, I noticed that there was a limit that I kept putting on myself. So my complaint to my therapist or my mentors was that I know I can do this work. I know I feel called to do it. But every time I have an opportunity, I kind of feel myself dim my light. I feel like I don't step up to the plate. Like, is that imposter syndrome? Is that self-doubt? I I kept like thinking of all the things that I knew it could be. But every time I explored that with myself or other people, it's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. There's like something holding me back from just doing the work I want to do. And so I began to actually do some deeper work with um, actually a friend, uh, a mentor who's like 10 years older than me around like what's really coming up when you think about this issue, what's happening in your mind, what's happening in your body. And I started to realize that I kept thinking about myself as a teenager. And I kept thinking about when I was around 16 and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I haven't tied these together. So I don't talk about my public, my publicly about my private stories very much, but I want to share with the listeners and with, with you here today is that for me, it was the realization that, so when I was 16, I lost my only brother in a car accident 
And it was a tragic, traumatic loss because obviously anytime a loss is, but I was the one that took the phone call. I was only 16. It was immediate loss of a family member. And I feel myself like this has been years and I can still feel the emotion as I talk about it with you, because this is a significant loss for me at a developmental stage in which I was 16 coming into myself, coming into my identity. Mm. And everyone was really supportive in our community, but they sent a a message that was well-meaning, but it had a really strong reverberation. And the message they said was, your parents need you. Your parents really need you right now. They could see that my Mm. parents obviously were struggling and I was their only child left. And so they meant well, like take care of your parents, be there. That's heavy. That's heavy. And as a 16 year old who was already, Mm. and I kind of already was a type A at that point. I liked doing well in school. I liked being a leader. I liked taking things on. And I just took that golden child role times 10. And I stepped fully into like, I will not be the reason that anyone else feels pain. I will not disappoint, right? Mm. I will not create discomfort. And so as I made that agreement with myself unconsciously at the age of 16, it actually helped me succeed. As many entrepreneurs will find when they have something like this, the rest of the world will reward it. They love you stepping into that and taking on more and they'll give you more responsibilities and they'll praise you and they'll give you rewards. They'll give you scholarships. They'll tell you to just keep going. And so you're like, I'm doing it. I'm just, I'm doing this and it's great. But at some point, if you haven't worked with this grief and this trauma, like in my situation, it started to raise its head again and it started to create feelings of burnout It started to create feelings of I'm not good enough. Like I can't do this. I started to turn down opportunities. I started to second guess myself. I started to feel resentment towards my co-working community sometimes because I was doing so much, you know, for the business. And so I had to start to do even more work on that grief and loss. And I realized that I had to undo that agreement that I no longer had to be perfect, that I could actually show up as an entrepreneur, fully transparent, transparent and say, I don't even know really what I'm doing here. I'm just throwing some spaghetti on the wall, but I believe in it. So, you know, I just had to start letting all of that golden child roll. I had to let Mm. it slide off. Right. Because it was the thing that was holding me back from doing what I wanted to do and being happy doing it. And I still work with her. She's definitely one of my little parts that will come up and she will, and she's been up recently because I've been wanting to do some mental health consulting, moving out of clinician role and doing consulting for teams and organizations. And she comes up a little bit and she's just like, well, you know, I don't know if you can do that perfectly. You're not going to be the the best at that. You don't know that as well. Right. So for all the listeners, I hope this is like a tangible way of like saying how, so that part of me, that grief and that traumatic event was really significant for my psyche and what I determined was possible for myself. And as an entrepreneur, 
I have the responsibility to myself to free free my psyche from those limitations, to step into my full capacity, my full possibilities. And, and that's what I want for my clients. And that's the work that I do on myself as well. So that's kind of mm. a way in which it's shown up in my life as an entrepreneur. Well, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing this. Um, it's and this might sound a bit off, but it's comforting to hear that even somebody like you, who's got all the awareness about the things to look out for, still has these moments where you go, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened all these years ago, right? Um, and it's, I think it's it's also hopeful that we can all find that moment, you know, when 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 we need to find it with assistance, with help. Um, um, there, there were moments where I was like, I was going to shout, oh, my God, this, this is so relatable. Yeah, same here. <laughs> it, like, brought me back to my own therapy, you know, um, last week. Yeah. yeah. Can, can, I, can I ask a question that sort of, because we, we, we want to use the opportunity of having you as, as a deep expert also just to kind of play a little bit terminology. So your definition of trauma and the wider definition was really helpful. Also, just to position things. So I love somatic therapy because it finally gave me some ways, some tools to teach my clients when they ran short, when they were like, I can't do anything else. I'm like, well, let me, let's start here. Let's go mm -hmm. into the body and let's understand how your body is experiencing this. And if we understand sensations and also it's really important is think just, it's really, it, it makes sense because when we are babies, our nervous systems don't fully form until the age of two. A lot of people don't know that, but your nervous system is not even fully formed. Your brain's not fully formed until the age of 25. So we're like co-regulating and we're learning how to be in our body based on our caregivers. And so everything that comes in is sensation. We don't know to say I'm hungry. We just know what hunger feels like and we cry. And then the caregiver, because we're mammals and we're really tied in reading each other's cues, the caretaker knows how to take care of that baby's needs. But as human adults, we still have so much intelligence in the body somatically if we learn what the sensations are telling us back to signals sensations can be signals and then we start to realize oh that feeling in my gut i get that every time i start to ignore what i need i start to like sacrifice myself or someone else or whatever that is so cognitive behavior would have helped you identify when you your thought process around that and it would help you shift your behavior, but the somatic awareness would actually help you understand it even earlier. Like when it was just mm. feeling in your, a feeling in your body. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that we will have a future in which somatic intelligence is as widespread and as understood as you know, emotional intelligence, because we have that now we understand what that means. And we understand what it means to have the IQ and the EQ. And then I talk about SQ. <laughs> I'm like, That's the next thing. Um, I remember in, I know Nick Tyrus, you've went through some of these somatic experiences on your, during your therapy. And, um, and I engaged with my therapist in it as well. And I remember first time she was sort of doing this exercise with me when she, and it was through virtual. So digitally, and she's like, just find a space in your room, stand up. We're going to do an exercise. And I remember the feeling of embarrassment at first, 
but then the liberation that come with it, because also like just, just letting the mind go and really feeling the body. Um, so I think everybody who's listening, I mean, I would certainly recommend even as an experience, like give it a shot and see how it feels for you and, and what it brings. Um, I know we probably have to wrap up soon, but there is one more thing I wanted to ask. Um, coming back to entrepreneurship and trauma. So we talked a little bit around some experiences, like let's say with the conflict with a co-founder or when I'm fundraising, right? Some of the, maybe my traumatic experiences are manifesting in my behaviors and reactions in, let's say the, the setup as an entrepreneur. I was thinking also about, have you experienced when the entrepreneurship, the journey, what happens to me while I'm an entrepreneur, that becomes a traumatic experience. And I was thinking about COVID, people losing businesses. I mean, that that just, I think, what what's there? What have you seen? How do you relate trauma and entrepreneurship as an entrepreneurship being really the trigger or, or to reason? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I have actually had some clients come in the door and that was what they put on their intake form. I feel traumatized by my business. I just closed my business Mm -hmm. and I am burnt out and I think I'm traumatized. And so I don't even know what to do next. So they were aware that the, the loss of the business or the stress of the business was creating this fatigue. You know, we, we talk about entrepreneur founders fatigue um, in healing. We call it compassion fatigue. I mean, you're just, you're doing so much for the business or for others and you're just exhausted and COVID creates that trauma piece because it's really, it, it feels life or death as well. Like you don't know if you will be safe anymore. Survival. Mm. Y- yeah. You don't know, like, am I going to lose everything? And then that means I have no safety. Like what if I didn't have a safety net? I was already swinging from the chandeliers to begin with. Cause some founders are like, I'm going for it. And then COVID happened. And then they were like, I'm about to drop, you know, a hundred floors. What is going to happen? So there was that feeling the floor dropping out, panic, fear. And so that is why I think I'm actually even seeing an uptick in my own clientele. I think more founders are reaching out to me saying, I need this. In the past, I felt like I kind of had to educate people and, and like speak to groups. Now they're finding me because they realize that there is something significant in the trauma means that Again, it goes back to, it impacts our appetite. It impacts our sleep. It impacts our focus. And when entrepreneurs start to realize that they can't function, if I can't sleep and I'm not eating properly and and I can't even track or stay on a Zoom call, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. And often it is the entrepreneurial trauma. Now in that situation, I'm not a magic work where I'm like, oh, let me, let me, I'm not the business coach. I'm not like, even though I understand a lot and we do talk about business stuff, but it's more of how am I going to then help you learn to trust your capacity to get through this time. And what I find is that entrepreneurs are fortunate in this way that they might be asked to learn to trust themselves over and over again in ways that another person who's just going like works for a company or is getting that paycheck. See, they, they don't have that tightrope to walk. And for some people that's fine, but for entrepreneurs, I almost feel like 
there's a certain calling to it because maybe, maybe that person actually is seeking that experience to put themselves not just like into high risk for adrenaline, but like there's an opportunity for that person to learn what they're capable of, to learn to trust themselves in the really hard parts. And I think that sums up what I actually do with my clients. And I tell them that, like, I'm going to help you learn to trust your capacity to be in this no matter what. And it was losing my brother that actually helped me learn that lesson because there's nothing else that I've experienced at that level. And I still got up and I walked through the next day and I walked to the next and I walked to the next. So I tell them, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. I'm not asking you to try something while I sit over here in the safe space. It's like, I know how hard it is. It's possible. Right. Hmm. Beautiful. I mean, there is so much more. <laughs> it felt right now like a very fitting uh, way to kind of to, to wrap mm. up. But again, my brain's buzzing. Laura. It's mm. it's it's interesting. And maybe we, we can stay and we may keep it or may, may not. Um, because I, I listened. I mean, we were not big fans of Esther Perel. And I always like how Esther Perel keeps herself in the background and she just has these reflections and these insights. But in one of the episodes of How's Work where she was talking to a whole team, and I don't know if you heard that episode, she talks to a newsroom team uh, in Australia. She actually went on to this monologue, which was quite uncharacteristic. And she was quite emotional about this because it was all about the experience we have as individuals through COVID and the helplessness we experience is a lot of things that, that could be traumatic, a traumatic experience of sorts, but then overlaid by the communal experience. But then talking to, to other founders, there's um, the individual, the team member, but also the leader of the business. And then you bring in the enmeshment that you mentioned earlier, where everything's threatened, right? And I was listening to this and it was just probably the most eloquent way of somebody talking about the collective COVID experience mm. that I could just zone into as Nectara's individual, as a co-founder, as a life partner, all the different layers that bring with us. And I was just, sorry, and I'm just going on a monologue, but <laughs> it literally, if if I hadn't been already been the biggest fan of Esther Perez, this was just one of those episodes. Um, mm. But it's, we, we never really touched about COVID much in in our, in in, in Naked. We, 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 we launched the Future Farm in the middle of everything. Mm-hmm. But it's not something we explored. So there, there is something there where we may actually be calling you again, Laura, when we might even do something specifically on the subject as as we think we're coming out of it. Uh, and yes. and nobody knows where we'll go because I think mm-hmm. the psychological implications of what we all experience collectively and individually, I don't think we even scratch the surface. Absolutely. But that's a present view. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love Esther Perel. And and the way that she works with systems and relational trauma and wounds and all those dynamics. Yeah. That that's what fascinates me. And like, like her, I believe that we don't just limit as therapists, this understanding to the personal, we apply it to the workplaces and there's a multiplier or ripple effect, if you will, in my opinion, that by supporting the founders, supporting the builders, of the new consciousness that that has a ripple effect out into how they impact their teams, how they impact their clients. And so that's what I see. I'm the support role over here, just wanting the best psychological 
support that I can provide those founders and those businesses and those teams. It's like, I'm here for you. Let's do this. And there's so much that they will, so many positive things that they will then be able to create in the world, I believe. Mm, 100%. Um, is there one tool, if somebody's curious to get deeper into this? I know there's probably no one, but if we, one or two that you want to maybe highlight as a way to sort of understand a little bit more about the trauma, mm-hmm. what would you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is traumahealing.org is a website. I shared it with both of you, I think, before the call of just, this is where a lot of the teachings of, of Peter Levine's work is. And there are so many other wonderful practitioners mm-hmm. that are also doing this work. But if you just kind of want to understand like what is trauma and how is it experienced somatically and to like learn about that piece, I would suggest, you know, traumahealing.org. And um, I'm also um, working collaboratively with an organization led by Dr. Michael Freeman called Econa Wellness. And he's on a mission, you know, as a psychiatrist that also works with founders he's wanting to create that as a space for more information, you know, more um, resources. So there's scientific articles there um, on his, on that, that podcast is EconaWellness.com. And we're trying to curate more resources on that page to just be a place where founders can go and find a book where another, a lot of these books are founders telling their own stories, which are great. And then there's the scientific articles from people like Michael. And then there's just like podcast. And that's how I even found, I listened to Michael on your podcast Mm. and that's how I discovered. And I think that that's kind of um, those places. And then, you know, people are always welcome to reach out to me. And I even do a complimentary consultation on my website because I just, even if I'm not the fit, I am happy to help connect and just answer your questions. And there's so many um, now in a way there wasn't before. I think there's so many new organizations coming up. I see a lot coming out of the UK. I see, you know, a lot of workplace wellness and I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about a future in which this is just the conversation. It's mental health is just in there, just like we're talking about PLs and we're talking about marketing strategy, you know, it's just like your mental health strategy and that that is just right there in the mix with everything else. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good I mean, shifting a paradigm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Laura. It was, it was beautiful, very engaging and learning for me. I took a lot of sort of insights from this uh, and thank you for being naked and vulnerable with us. We, we appreciate that always. Yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you. Join us next week to reflect and digest. You've been listening to Naked by the Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. To learn more about our work, sign up to our newsletter or visit thefuturefarm.co, where you can also apply to be a naked guest. Naked is produced by Dan Turgill and edited by Catherine Walker. And remember, subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help share it with the world. <laughs>